0: This morning on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy.
1: Yeah, moving you through your week. It's a Wednesday hump day here on The Fan, hanging out with you until 10 o'clock. Reminder, coming up at 9.30, Matt Painter, Purdue head basketball coach. He'll join us, of course, uh, Boilermakers in town here in Indy, in GameBridge. Everything's happening on Saturday. Everything. Uh, the parking lot attendants will be very happy uh, about the parking prices on Saturday with the Colts happening. Of course, what's going down at GameBridge between Purdue and Arizona. And again, yeah, Pete- Peacock
2: for Purdue and for the Colts and Steelers, it is NFL Network locally though CBS4. So for no, which those is good, not getting out of their house on Saturday, those are your viewing options at 4.30. Yeah, if you're not going to the
1: games, uh, two TVs sit on the couch. Going to be a nice cold Saturday here at Indy. Take advantage of it and uh, some pretty good games on tap. Don't forget Indiana and Kansas. Uh, We'll talk some of that more as we go later in the week. All right, It's a Wednesday at 8 o'clock. You know what that means. Stephen Holder joins us following the Colts for ESPN.com. He joins us on the Pay Less Liquors Hotline. Stephen, good morning, sir. How are you?
3: Doing great. How are you guys?
1: Man, we are fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us here early on this Wednesday. I guess let's go backwards before we look to the game there in Lucas Oil on Saturday against the Steelers. What items, stemming from that Bengals game, what items, Stephen, do you kind of write off as it's a one-game dud for the Colts? And what items do you look at and say, this could be a problem in the final month of the season?
3: Well, the, the first thing, and I think the probably the most pivotal thing, I, I, I've got to look at the offensive line. I'm going to give them a little benefit of the doubt and say, all right, they have been much better this season, and you are allowed to have a bad week. And, and I'm guessing, I'm hoping, I'm assuming that's what that was. Now, because I think with the offensive line, at least, if you get a, a strong performance there, you can at least, be functional on offense. When the offensive line is not playing well, you you get dysfunction on offense. And I thought that's what they had on Sunday. If they have that moving forward, they're going to have problems. But again, I, I think they've been pretty solid throughout with some hiccups here and there, but, but not to the level that I saw on Sunday. Now the, the defensive issues. Look, I didn't, nothing I saw on defense sat well with me either, but but I would say the the screen passes I, I really think that was a product of you know maybe some missed assignments first of all, but also the the bengals perimeter weapons putting a lot of stress on the defense and and they're them playing accordingly giving them a lot of space to operate and that left them with all kinds of room underneath so hopefully that's a one-time thing as well uh, but but the, the offensive line I thought was was a bigger issue for me.
2: Stephen Holder again with us here from ESPN. Stephen, if you go back to Sunday, Colts didn't have Jonathan Taylor, didn't have Braden Smith, didn't have Juju Brents, didn't have EJ speed. Could you make the case that they felt speeds lost the most of those four?
3: It's interesting uh, because no pun intended, but I mean, his speed underneath is, is really a, a, an attribute that they really rely on. You know, that's, Look we we've talked a lot about Shaquille Leonard and and his underperformance earlier in the season, but you know what we maybe didn't talk enough about is the fact that the reason it was an option to move on is because of EJ Speed and because of, of the range that he has. Uh, I mean look, he is not he is not, you know, a, a, a version of what Shaq used to be necessarily. All right, I'm not gonna ever say that because you know, that was a that was a three time First team All Pro, but there is a similarity in the way that EJ Speed plays, in terms of how he gets to the football. He covers a lot of ground, uh, has has that range. That's where there's some symmetry there. Even though he can't do what Shaq once did, uh, he he definitely plays a similar style and brings a similar skill set.
1: Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, You tweeted this out 22 hours ago. The Colts with Taylor, 4.4 yards per carry. The Colts without Jonathan Taylor, 3.6 yards per carry. Uh, They are some nasty numbers, especially the last two games, whether that's Moss, offensive line. There are many uh, factors that go into a pretty porous running game. Do you think the running game is fixable without Jonathan Taylor? Taylor because, Stephen, we have no idea when he's going to be back.
3: I mean, they've proven that they can run the ball without Jonathan Taylor. That is true. But it's also true to say that they have been better with him and more consistent with him. And I, I think with Zach Moss, look, I can go back to the Baltimore game. That was definitely uh, a great performance by him. It was also... You know, sort of a, a battle of attrition. You know, where he, he got a lot of attempts, he he did maximize them, and that kind of thing. But the the big plays, I can't remember who was talking about this. I guess it was maybe Sh- uh, Shane Steichen yesterday. You know, talking about how you know they have to have those big plays in their running game because right now they just they're just absent. And and the thing about Jonathan Taylor is we know he can overcome circumstances around him. Because we've seen him do it, I, and look—I know it was a long time ago—but you can go back to 2021, and and the way he performed that season, in spite of what was happening around him, I think is is something that doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, by the end of that season, they were not trying to throw the football because Carson Wentz was a disaster, and <laughs> they had come to terms with it. Everyone knew they were going to run the ball, and what did Jonathan Taylor do? He went out there and consistently had success. So, you know that, that Patriots game late that season is the greatest single example of that, where New England stacked the box the entire game, and Jonathan Taylor basically said, "Okay, fine." And now it's not to say that, that he's on that level right now, but he has been, he had been consistently getting better and ramping up toward what we used to expect from him. So there's definitely a step back without him. Look, it's not all on Zach Tom- no, It's not all on Zach Taylor. Z- Excuse me, Zach Taylor. Was, there is a Zach Taylor, but we're talking about Zach Moss. <laughs> Zach Moss, right. <laughs> anyway, it's not all on him. But, but certainly asking him to transcend that kind of offensive line performance, I don't think is, is a reasonable expectation.
2: And Stephen Holder is with us here from ESPN. Stephen, Shane Steichen was asked yesterday, will Jonathan Taylor play again this season? And I, you know, I think he said something to the effect of that's the plan. Um, right. You could look at that probably one of two ways. One, you could look at it and say, that's the plan. Oh, boy, that doesn't sound uber optimistic. And then the other way would be like, Shane Steichen hates talking about injuries. Don't make too much out of any response he gives on injuries. I, I I guess. Do you expect Taylor to play again this season, or do you read something into there is a little bit of doubt?
3: I don't read anything into it necessarily. Uh, what I what I would, if you if you want to read anything into it, it's it's the fact that th- there isn't a firm timeline on it. I don't think there ever was, uh, because it is going to be a thing. From from what I understand, at least, it is going to be something to where. It has to be evaluated day-to-day, week-to-week, and and revisited. And when he's ready, he'll be out there. Um, As we sit here today, I'm not entirely sure they know when that will be, if that will be this week, next week, the week after. I think it's going to be a a situation that is evaluated over the next week to two or whatever it takes, and and then we'll have a better grip on it. And I think that's why maybe you're getting – um, some uncertainty from Shane Steichen in addition to the fact that he never gives us any concrete answers on injuries, but we already know that, and sure. we're all frustrated about it. So it is what it is, though.
2: The other guy that did not participate in yesterday's walkthrough was Braden Smith. It's looking like you know Smith is going to go down the path of playing in about half, maybe a little bit more than half of the Colts' games this season. To be mm-hmm. fair, he does not have the injury history, or I should say probably the surgery history that Shaquille Leonard had, but I don't know. I've gotten this question, so I'll toss it to you. Maybe because they were picked right next to each other. Uh, Braden is 27 years old. He's under contract for a few more years. Could you see any sort of, maybe not an outright, you know, he's a cap casualty because that, to me, in my opinion, seems a little bit too far, but could you see like a restructuring given some of the recent injury history with Braden Smith?
3: That's a fair question, I guess. Well, it's fair to at least talk about what his injury situation means going forward. I mean, personally, I'm not having that conversation with him if I'm the Colts. I mean, I, I just think he still is in the upper, I don't know, quadrant maybe. Um, uh, did I just use a quartile? I, I, <laughs> I thought you were going to go down the Jim Mercer path. I was
2: Upper I, quartile, I upper like, quartile right tackles. That's rare, rare. Yeah,
3: I, I caught myself halfway through, and I was like, this is totally going to detract my points.
2: Are you so, going to tell us how to make sausage here in the next
3: couple minutes next? I don't know how, so I'm with Jim on that. I have no idea how to make sausage. So I That's rare you know. here. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that sounds really good, by the way. It's early. Yeah. <laughs> Braden Smith. Okay, so I would say that's for me. That's not where this goes personally. I do understand questions, though. I I think that is fair. I mean, I'm looking and to at be it is, fair.
2: It's more availability than play. I want to make that clear. Correct. Like I, I think Shaq was more of there's questions when he's playing. You know, I, I think when Braden plays, you know there is a lot of oh wow, he's a pretty good right tackle. It's more of just you know he missed I think a third of the season a couple of years ago, and now he's looking like he could miss about half of this season.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think last year was big for him. Uh, he played 16 games. I mean, that's where I think there were questions coming out of the previous year because he was kind of in and out. Uh, hadn't really missed much before that, and then last year he played 16 out of 17 games. So I think you feel like at that point, all right, we're good. Right. Uh, th- this year, this is a big setback, no doubt about it. And again, I don't think it. I don't think we're at that point yet. But what you, if you're if you're Braden, I think the fair right now is, all right, I have to make sure I don't get a label. I don't get labeled as injury prone, and I'm not saying I would use that term, but you do have to, at some point, show some consistency so that you do not get that label. So I think next year is a big year for Braden Smith, personally. I don't think we're there yet, but next year is big.
1: The great Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com. He's on the Payless Liquors hotline. We're talking everything Colts as they get ready 4:30 on Saturday. There, uh, Lucas oh, You can hear the game right here on the Fan. You know, I I I don't know if I'm bullish on this game. I just you know so so much went wrong for the Colts against the Bengals. I really feel like special teams wise and a few other things. Maybe you run the ball a little bit better that they will bounce back in this game. Is it is it this easy that if they Win the game, you think they make the playoffs? And if they lose on Saturday, they don't make the playoffs, Stephen.
3: Well, it's um, it's gotten a lot more crowded, and they used up uh, one of their lifelines, unfortunately for them, <laughs> on on Sunday in Cincinnati. Um, you know, I don't I don't think they're necessarily completely in. And I don't think they' I don't necessarily you know give them the benefit of the doubt of making the playoffs if they win this game. I would say if they lose this game, though, I. I don't know. It's I to be tough. I think at, yeah, at that point, I think you have to win out, and then you might need help. That's that's where they might be at that point, because I mean, the the seven and six club, so to speak, in the AFC, the teams with seven and six records. I mean, this is this is amazing. I mean, it, I think it's like it feels like half the league is is within a game. Excuse me, half the conference is within a game of five hundred right now, and so that puts them in the mix with a lot of teams, I know they are, I, I believe they're in the playoffs that they started today. They are. They're the seven seed. Yep. They're the seven right. seed. But I mean, you're talking about, you're hanging off a dear life here. Uh, one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven and six teams, I think, or six or sevens. So, I mean, that's not, they're not all going to lose. Okay. They're just not all going to lose. And so, you know, if you want to be in a situation where you need help, then go out and lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's where you're going to be. So, I think it's a huge game. I think it's a winnable game at home. You got to go win this game. If you want to be in the playoffs, go win the game, and then, you know, then it's not a conversation, hopefully.
1: All right. A reporter's question for Stephen Holder of ESPN.com. I wrote this down last night, Stephen. I figured I would ask you. You ready for this? Uh, This is a Jake Query type question, so get ready. Oh, dear Lord. Oh, boy. Yeah, I want to know. You might need some liquor with that
2: sausage here on this Wednesday morning.
1: (laughs) Uh, We'll get you, we'll wake you up here early at eight o'clock. Would you on Sunday, I guess Monday too, would you rather have covered, as a journalist, the Kadarius Tony offsides, that great play, the Mahomes whining, the Andy Reid stuff after the game, or the Tommy DeVito agent Italian kissing each other, beating the Green Bay Packers on Monday Night Football? Which one, if, if I could have just dropped you into Kansas City or the Meadowlands, which one would you have want to cover on Sunday or Monday night?
3: Man, that stuff. I I kind of think the Chiefs only because I would love to have been able to ask Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, like, are you guys going to talk about Kadarius Tony like at all? <laughs> are we Are we going to acknowledge that this guy has killed you repeatedly this year? I get it. They're covering. Their, they're covering for their guy. I get it. And and maybe that's what they're supposed to do. But like, and I'm not saying that didn't happen. I'm sure some of my colleagues did. Uh, impress that upon them like, you know, why don't you point the finger at the right guy here? But like I I just thought it was such it was it was so over the top and so ridiculous, particularly Patrick Mahomes, who I love. My God, Patrick, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Like I, I thought it was an embarrassing moment for Patrick Mahomes. Like dude yeah. get a grip. Yeah. Get a grip. Steven I, I thought it
2: was just him boiling over from the offensive struggles this season. That may be.
3: That may be, and that's fair. And I, I will give him. I think he does deserve some benefit of the doubt. That that might be what's happening. And frankly, I get it to some degree because it has been absolutely ridiculous. But like, dude, he he needed to be the bigger person there. And I, I just, I don't know. I just, I don't understand that. That was, but it was definitely a boiling point. Very clearly a boil, a boiling point for him. And, and some of those factors that you mentioned probably went into that.
1: I'm surprised you didn't want to eat a cutlet sandwich in MetLife's parking lot with uh, the DeVito family.
2: <laughs> no. It's okay. You look the wrong way, and it could be <laughs> the end of it, unfortunately, with the DeVito uh, group there. Uh, <laughs> so all right.
3: I wonder if they had any sausage out there. I, mean, I, was, I was just saying,
2: bloody Marys and sausage for Stephen Holder here on this Wednesday morning. Stephen, as always, thank you for the time, and we'll see you here in a bit at the Colts Complex.
3: All right, guys. See you soon.
2: Stephen Holder, ESPN, right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. He brought up all those teams at seven and six. A uh, couple things to note, Andy. And I might be looking too far ahead, but okay, the AFC is pretty jumbled, even at the top. You know, oh sure, no, the it's number a one seed yeah. is very up for grabs. But if we get to Week 18, and all of a sudden, let's say Baltimore has earned the one seed, and you know whatever Miami is slotted into the two right now, that's where those two teams are at, and they can't go up to one. We probably should note that there are two seven and six teams that play Miami and Baltimore in mm-hmm. the final game of the season. Well, Buffalo plays Miami, don't they? So Buffalo's got Miami, Pittsburgh has got Baltimore. Those could be resting games. You know, that could be, what, Tyler Huntley, and I, I don't even know who is in Miami. Mike White. Mike White. Remember the Jets last year? Sure. Game? Mike uh, effing Mike White. He had a great game against the Colts one time at Lucas <laughs> yes, Oil Stadium. So, a- again, I'm probably looking too far ahead, but it's just something it's to note of. The it's Colts possible. have got the Texans. And, you know, that's obviously that could be a huge game playoff-wise. And then one other thing, we mentioned this yesterday. If you look at the six teams currently at 7-6, and six, uh, the schedule strength of those teams left the rest of the season. The Steelers have the eighth toughest, Cincinnati, ninth, Buffalo, 15th, Houston, 19th, Colts, 20th, and Denver with the easiest remaining schedule of those six teams. That would be 26th in the NFL. If there was one
1: thing that I would want to see happen in the NFL this year, and this would not be a good thing for the Colts, I mean, they could still make the playoffs. It's the Denver Broncos catching and passing the Kansas City Chiefs. That would be really funny, and that's more of Chiefs hatred it, no, no, versus that, that, you love Sean be, Payton and Russell Wilson uh, that, and no, Sierra. No, that would be funny, would it not? Come on, what, were they zero and five, or were they one in five? They gave start up the year? seventy, right? They so gave the Dolphins... up seventy. We sat in here and laughed. It was one of our first shows together. We were not even a month on the air. We're laughing about ah, oh, you gave up seventy. Uh, what does Nathaniel Hackett think now? Sean Payton. And Sean Payton's a good coach. Yeah, they were. I mean, they were one in five. Their only win. Do you remember their only win in the first six weeks? God, I got no idea. He's, he's looking right at you right now across the way. Mark Dykton, Chicago totally. Bears. Hi, how you doing? 31 that even count as a full <laughs> hey, win? Hey, It does. It does. To me, that would be the funniest. I, I happen to think that we're not going to get a lot of that. I think if we do get some of that, it's with Baltimore. I think Baltimore. Resting, yes, what you're saying I, it would be Baltimore resting Lamar <sighs> Jackson for Huntley. That would be the one.
2: I, I, I think mean, if you're Miami be and fighting. you can't get to the one seed though, and you have the division locked up. <sighs> Boy, you're, gonna you. you're gonna play Tyreek. You're gonna play two with his injury history. Yeah, uh, Miami does have the Jets coming up. A chain's been but, banged but up they, again. But then they have the Cowboys if and they have Things right. I understand because remember, since we've gone to the seven playoff teams a few years back, there's only one bye. It used to be the six playoff teams and the first seed right. and you the second seed. You two buys; it's more get the buy, right. now it's just the one. So, is there that big of a difference between the three seed or the two seed? I, I guess you could get a second home game if you're the two seed. I, I, I don't know. Um, it's 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 not
1: a bad conversation. I and again, just happen to be a little early a team
2: for that. You know, the Colts. <laughs> to your point, they need to worry about themselves. I mean, you probably could boil Saturday down to. Mathematically, this doesn't check out, but logically it might. You win, you should get in the playoffs. You lose, you should not get in the playoffs. I mean, if I, gave you guys, I feel. if I gave you guys $500 right now to put on one AFC team to win the Super Bowl or to go to the Super Bowl, who would it be? Is there any team that stands out right the, now? They're like, they're Super Bowl no. favorites. I, I mean, no one, I'll no tell one... You. Did, Jumps out of me.
1: I'll tell you, it's and I hate to say it, it's the Chiefs still, just because of Mahomes and Reed, just because they've done it. I mean, that's the only reason. And it's not even anything about this year. It's about previous years. We haven't seen Lamar Jackson be good in the
2: postseason. I, one want, thing I'm I want to believe in Miami, but I don't. One thing I am intrigued by Baltimore, and again, the Mark Andrews injury is a big loss. We have not seen them even with this type of wideout group. I mean, Zay Flowers and Odell Beckham, that would be the best wideout group Lamar Jackson's ever oh, had. Without question. So, without you know, question. what does that look like? Um, gosh, you know, part of me wants to like Miami, but I just think they've got to be at home and it's got to be great weather. And even then, I'm still like, wait, who have they beaten this year? So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. Mark, what I, would be your answer? I don't know. I, I, I would probably go the Ravens just because the, what the Chiefs have done this year. I'm just like, their defense is decent, but their wide receivers just absolutely stink. And if Travis Kelsey isn't having himself a game, I can't I know they have Patrick Mahomes still, but I I, I think I'd go with the Ravens, I, I guess. But it's a complete crap show. Who would you say in the
1: NFC? The Niners. Yeah, everyone's going Niners. I'm still going to go with the Eagles. Actually, actually, I think I think the Eagles right now you're going to get great value on the Eagles because everybody loves the Niners and Cowboys. No and, one and believes I, in I, my I Cowboys. And I understand, and I understand why. I mean, the, you know, the Cowboys are playing if not the best football, the second best football in the NFL. Dak could win the the MVP and then get paid by Jerry Jones, which is exactly what I hope happens. Uh, and the Niners are great. I just, I guess, there's still something I'm not buying, Purdy in the playoffs, I'm still, on uh, the Cowboys have got, you know, have been so good in the regular season just to choke it away in the postseason. I still feel like Philly gets healthy and they're able to bully teams around and be there in the NFC Championship game. But I could be wrong. I mean, listen, Jalen Hurts, he's taking some hits. He's hobbling around. He's fumbling the football. So I can understand if you said, no, this year it's all about the Cowboys and Niners. I just, I did not think this was going to be the case, but with the Chiefs not being the super team that we thought, with Mark Andrews gone from the Ravens, um, I don't know even you know the Cleveland Browns are a good team but I mean the AFC has let them be the five seed and they've won games with four different quarterbacks I think the NFC is stronger I I really do I think the NFC has come back this year the Niners Cowboys and Eagles I think are better than what the AFC could offer that's just me Kevin Bowen wanted this song coming out of break. Uh, he kept telling Mark, this is exactly what I need to get me mm-hmm. going. 7- I'm a little confused
2: by the lyrics. Is there a reason behind this, Mark? Yes, there's some butt talk going on in the chat. So I told him I'd make the first rejoiner. Uh, based on the topic, I, I throw some Nicki Minaj at them.
1: <laughs> well, okay, that is also not a sentence that I thought I would hear at 7:30 in the morning. There's some butt stuff conversation well, going on in the YouTube chat. You, you
2: do <laughs> never know where the YouTube chat is going to go there. So, not nonetheless, not so. usually sports related.
1: Yeah, when I sounds peaked, like
2: an excited morning in the YouTube chat. When,
1: when I peaked, it's been either negative stuff about me or it's been political, and I immediately ejected out of the political conversation conversation uh by the way we're gonna dive into some colts here pacers coming up tonight against the bucks six and a half point that spread we did not mention and i failed and i apologize to everybody i did fail in one respect during our morning checkdown, uh and then i'll say it and then we'll just move on okay we'll, we can move on to the colts on saturday Congratulations to Riley Leonard going to Notre Dame football. There, there, there. I had to say it. Uh, that became official yesterday. I know that's very big to the man who's sitting five feet to my left. And now we've said it and we can move on to Mason Rudolph conversation if you want. Do
2: you have <laughs> disdain with that comment? That's kind of what it sounded <laughs> no, like there. I'm, I'm fine with it. You he's are wearing a Duke sweatshirt, like he, it looks like. By the way, today. he's better than,
1: by the way, just quickly Sam Hartman skipping the bowl game to, to get ready for the NFL. Okay.
2: Okay. What do we do yeah. to save bowl games? I mean, do we incorporate your NIL deal must include yes. the bowl game? Well, if guys like Sam Hartman aren't going to yeah. play in a bowl we're, game again, we're by we're all accounts, trouble. is not going to hear oh, his on. name yeah. called in the draft no. for you know hundreds no. of picks. If he
1: does, it's going to be in the seventh round, right? It's going to be uh, yeah. a free agent anyway. We can move on. Uh, Colts on Saturday, but I figured I figured the Bowen household was officially a little bit happier last night at about four o'clock.
2: I was pleased with Riley. Okay. You know, well, part you of me go. is like, you know, is, you is he go. really that guy? But Notre Dame no, needs like something. Him. I
1: like him. I think he's he can a, move. I think he's an NFL player. I think he can play in the NFL. How about that?
2: Well, that's all I needed to hear. That's right now. That's
1: all you need to hear. There, Make my the playoff breakdown. plans. Here we go. There's my Mel Kuiper Jr. Uh, breakdown. Uh, am I more confident than you going into Saturday? I guess I just I've got PTSD feel about TJ Watt. Sure, you
2: should. Let's go back to 2020. Um, you know, obviously a lot has changed since then, but. You know, Andy, uh, the end of that season, the Colts play the Steelers in a really, really important game. The Colts had uh, a lot at stake in that one from potentially still being involved in the division. And uh, they went into that game with backup tackles, both spots. Anthony Costanza was out. Braden Smith, ironically, was out. So they started two dudes by the name of Will Holden <laughs> and Chaz Green. And T.J. Watt made his presence felt very early in that one. Had a huge strip sack of Phillip Rivers. Uh, Pittsburgh punched that in. It was actually a big comeback Pittsburgh had in winning that one. So admittedly, there is a little bit of that on my mind with this one. Um, And I think Blake Freeland has been about what you would expect out of a fourth-round rookie. Maybe a little bit better than that, honestly. Um, but still, Watt, to me, is just a different presence. And again, he's still got a pass-through concussion protocol, so it's no guarantee that he plays in this it, game. We've seen guys here uh, look like they're going to play, and then we find out
1: Friday Correct, during yeah. the 5 o'clock hour of JMV show, hey, we're going to have some guys not make the game. I
2: would assume yesterday for Pittsburgh was even a little bit of a lighter physicality practice. Sure. I don't know, maybe because they had the mini-bye week, they, they actually had a pretty... Intense practice, if you will. So again, TJ Watt still has multiple steps to progress through. But Andy, I kind of went into yesterday thinking for Pittsburgh to have a chance in this game, they need Watt to play and they need Brain Smith not to play. And the first injury report of the week, again, it's the first one, would indicate Watt has a chance to play and Brain Smith did not participate in the walkthrough. Now again, we'll see about Brain Smith today when the Colts have their first actual practice. But that's kind of where I'm at with Pittsburgh. For them to play, Mitch Trubisky ain't doing anything, right? But it's does George Pickens take a fifty-fifty ball thirty-five yards down the field and kind of moss a Colt corner and boom, there's a big play. Does Jalen Warren, who's had some nice moments out of the backfield, does he take a screen for fifty yards? And then defensively, we've seen Mika Fitzpatrick pick six the Colts before. Does T.J. Watt play and make a strip sack? Those are the only real areas I see. I don't think they're quarter. I don't think Trubisky can Jake Browning you. But they do have some individuals that, if they're out there when they're playing, I mean, Pittsburgh is 7 and 6 for a reason. Yeah. And it's not because Kenny Pickett was, you know, an all pro quarterback right. when he was out you there. Know, he
1: was throwing for 200 yards a game or whatever it was. I, I think for me, offensively, for the Colts or for the Steelers, it's not a denigration of the talent they have outside of the quarterback. I respect the talent they have. Hey, you're looking at a guy who in fantasy leagues took George Pickens way too high because <laughs> I thought, you know, I thought the Pickett, Pickens uh, you know, union there would be a good one this season. So I have respect for those guys. What I don't have respect for is the quarterback. And here's even more so of what it is, KB. I don't respect the offensive philosophy or quite frankly, the offensive coaches for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, hasn't that been the story all year? Right, they uh, fired and, Matt Canada, know, their offense coordinator. Yeah, and I a few know weeks they ago. fired Matt Canada, and he's gone. But it's not like that's turned around. It's not like oh, we fired Matt Canada. They and haven't now scored we, over
2: twenty points in a month. Yeah,
1: and now the offense is humming because we score. You know, Matt Canada's gone. They scored what ten and eighteen respectively, the two games. I think he's been out. You know, they've lost to bad teams, and, and I know he's well. You know, I think people. People have seen Pittsburgh rally, win ugly games, and be there for the playoffs. But I uh, believe—this is just me—I believe, and it may not happen on Saturday, I just—I think they are a team that is going to have to make some changes. They're a team that cannot keep going down the exact same road. That doesn't mean I think they get rid of Mike Tomlin, but I think you look offensively. They have to rethink quarterback. They have to rethink. You know, you know, Najee Harris. He's probably not going to be there as a part of their plan. Obviously, a guy that's just you know hundreds and hundreds of carries going all the way back to Alabama now in the NFL. One thing I would ask you, and I wonder this is. The NFL, and there's a story up right now at ESPN.com, the NFL and the Players Association are doing an investigation. I don't know how thorough of an investigation that is into TJ Watt, who, came, who was injured came off the field on Thursday uh, in kind of a nasty-looking play and then re-entered the game with a visor. And people may say, well, why does that matter? Uh, Well, number one, the game's at night, and you would have the visor because you have a concussion and you're very light-sensitive. That is the point that's being made. So I wonder what that does to this week, I guess. That's my only point. Now, he
2: did say he wore the visor because he didn't want to see Mitch Trubisky play quarterback. Yeah, well... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was wearing a visor. I was at my house.
1: You to be wear fair, one. to you T.J. Do, Watt. You had to wear one for, what, three years? Uh-huh. Four yeah. years
2: in Chicago. Um, yeah, I, I, un, well, I guess, unfortunately, for the Colts' sake, I think that has zero bearing on DJ Watt playing Saturday or not. Um, but, yeah, that is something that the NFL, I guess, and the PA is looking into. Um, Chat with Quentin Nelson yesterday, and I do think, you know, Quentin, obviously, is an ext- he can be an extremely... He will decide whether he wants to be, you know, super candid with his comments or not. I think for the most part, actually, um, he is pretty honest and upfront about his own individual play or where they're at from an offensive line standpoint. Um I know there's been times I've walked over to him and asked him a question and thought, well, that was totally worthless. Yesterday, though, <laughs> um, asked him about specifically what went wrong against Cincinnati. And he pointed to two things. And again, individually, he mentioned himself having an issue uh, with one of them. He thought like they allowed Cincinnati's linebackers to get downhill way too much and then just an inability by the Colts' offensive lineman. And Nelson, again, pointed to himself for one of these plays, just not not accounting for them when they did get downhill. And they made too many plays in the backfield. The other thing that he said that the Colts struggled with run game-wise was they didn't really execute their combination blocks Very well. Um, And I brought this up yesterday, Andy. The stat that really stands out to me about Zach Moss in the run game six of Moss's 13 carries on Saturday, zero or negative yards. You are not built offensively, certainly with Gardner Minshew, to all of a sudden live in second and 10 or live in second and 12 or you know, whatever, you get to second and six, and then you Mm -hmm. run it again, and now all of a sudden it's third and eight. Right. So that, I think, is a big, big deal. If you look at the last five weeks, the Colts have averaged uh, 2.7 per carry or less in four of those five weeks. So outside of Tampa, which ironically was a pretty good run defense team, uh, you have not ran it effectively at all, or even just like, not even effectively, just run with a bit of competence to somewhat sit there and be like, all right, now it's third and five and not third and eight or third and nine. So I do think that is going to be a big, big part to the last four games of the season. Can you get this run game to average? It's almost like a little Pacers defense chatter. (laughs) I was just going
1: to say, it sounds like you're talking about the Pacers defense. to be
2: fair to the Colts, they have had run game success this season. But in an NFL cycle... September and October, Andy can feel like three years well, ago. can they do this without Jonathan Taylor? Well, can they do it without Anthony Richardson, too? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there are a lot of layers to this run game that I think are being impacted here. Um, you know, Something I even want to throw Stephen Holder's way when we have him on in 15 minutes, is Zach Moss wearing down? You know, Moss has never had this workload in the NFL. Now a again, fair question. Moss would counter very quickly and say this, uh, look at my Utah stats. You know, I, I, I was the bell cow at Utah. But again, Andy... That's now, what, four years ago? So in Buffalo, I, I'd be curious what he, what even his high is in carries for a season. Um, so I, I think there are a
1: lot of layers to it. I can tell you right now, it's back his rookie year in 2020. It's 112. He's hit 173 this year. Yeah, and so, so it's a lot he's already more. 50, oh, yeah, 60 carries over. Yeah, he's already over, and obviously, like, his receptions, this is his career high. He has 24 receptions. His career high was back in 2021 when he had when he had 23. It's not a bad question. I guess I almost
2: feel like... I don't think it's at the top of the list. Let me be clear on that. We blame everyone else but anything with yeah, Jack Moss. And, and again, I'm blaming Moss for just, you know, general wear and tear. I, I Again, I don't want to act like that's the biggest piece of the pie here. I, I do think ultimately... And Nelson, again, focused on this a lot yesterday. They've just got to be better up front. And I think they are dealing with a little bit of, you know, kind of the deck stacked against them based off the lack of potency with Gardner Minshew and the passing offense. Uh, But that obviously is going to be huge, huge on Saturday to stymie any sort of Pittsburgh. I love that
1: word. Stymie. Uh, Stiken yesterday talked about the running game. Go ahead. Sometimes you might have games where you pop, you know, it might be a three, four yard run, run, run. But then you pop that 30 yarder, which gets your average up. And uh, we need that. You know what I mean? We got to get some of those. Obviously, when we were
0: running for over 100 plus yards, a couple of those games, we pop some big ones. And I think that obviously gets your average up, creating those explosives in the run game. And uh, that's what we're going to need going forward.
1: Uh I, I guess there'd be two things. Number one, why would I believe that right now when you mentioned things are getting tighter and closer in the NFL that you're going to see them start to run the football better? I, I just I don't see it. I hope I'm wrong again. I hope I'm very wrong on Saturday. And the second thing when he mentioned uh, popping the big one. That is how you have always explained Jonathan Taylor. Right. What Uh he's explaining is what Jonathan Taylor literally does well. Yeah,
2: Taylor hits a few more to the fence. Uh, Zach Moss is just hitting him to the edge of the outfield. That's the way to say it. And that's what Steichen's saying.
0: Right.
1: You know, we've hit some big ones. Now, I know it feels like Zach Moss's big ones happened when there was a little bit more of the Anthony Richardson. Sure. Yeah. What was there? That's how I feel. And this is, it sounds like it's negative against Moss. I still feel like it's a lot of the factors around Zach Moss. The other thing, before we can go to the Pacers here again, Stephen Holder at 8 o'clock, Matt Painter, Purdue head coach, coming up at 9.30. I wanted to throw this your way. Given that they have not been able to run the full Football here the last couple games and given Jonathan Taylor, I mean, come on, he's already doubtful for this. He's not playing on Saturday. We can start. I mean, that's my opinion. I don't know if you feel different on that. And we can talk about uh, the weeks. You hope he plays next week. To me, them not running the football is. Does it make you change your feeling on anything Gardner Minshew-wise? In other words, Minshew would look better if they could get into second and six a little bit more. If they controlled that line of scrimmage, the pass protection, the run protection, both would be better. Does that move the needle for you? Because I kind of feel like that's not me giving Minshew more credit. It's just for me saying his job would be easier. There'd be less... Coach Steichen would be putting on his plate, I guess, if if they could run the football even okay, even
2: average, not even for 150 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, I think so much of it, Andy, is honestly just teams, it, I, I get what you're asking. You know, oftentimes you hear, it, yeah, the run game opens up the pass or, you know, whatever. The play-action game is built off of a strong run game. For me... I think now, what are we, 7-6, and the Colts, 13 games into this season, you have put on film that if you limit the run game, then they aren't going to be able to pass it. So I think teams now view it as um, we know that they can't really do a whole lot through the air on a consistent basis, particularly down the field. So we're going to take away the run game first if we eliminate that then we feel like we've got a good chance to, again, control this team from an offensive standpoint. Um, again, first-row practice for the Colts of the week coming later today, and we'll continue to update you on that. Pacers-Bucks tonight, 8 o'clock, 6.5-point underdog in that one. Uh, Andrew Nemhard again, still in that week-to-week mode with that bone bruise. Sounds like Jalen Smith... Is still out. I do think this is kind of one of those games where, you know, Jalen Smith might be that second option against Giannis. Uh, and, and now it's probably a little bit more. I, I guess it's Aaron e. Smith maybe over Isaiah Jackson. Oh, I think it absolutely and is. Miles don't Turner. You? Yeah. But Obi Toppin should get that first one. Uh, you know, curious Benedict Matherin reaction to Monday. Um, you know, do we see more of that facilitating, more of the playmaking, stringing those games together? Obviously, doing it against better competition. Uh, But as I said kind of in the opening segment, to me, Andy, this is one of those rare games in recent years of the Pacers where they're playing the better opponent. And I'm honestly more curious about how the opponent reacts to what Indiana's done to them now twice this season uh, and ultimately how the Pacers then kind of counter that. Because this one has a little bit of a playoff feel to it. The Pacers have won. The first couple of games of the series, and now how does Milwaukee respond? Yeah,
1: the game's at eight o'clock tonight. Our coverage on the fan at seven thirty. And then Washington on Friday. Do you see the Washington owners moving them out of downtown? I did see that. Do you yeah. see that he's moved to Northern Virginia? Which
2: is where Jordan Poole attempts some of his threes, right?
1: <laughs> Northern Virginia. It's a good what's a good one liner. You're you've guarded optimism tonight. That's what I'm sensing. Mark, are you sensing that? I'm sensing guarded optimism from Kevin Bowen tonight.
2: I, I, I a little swagger in his yeah, I think his Benedict Mathernett. had such a good it, game. Exactly.
1: I'm thinking you're... you're you either have swagger
2: or you want Are you around right the cusp of having swagger. It's one or the other. Six and I don't think anyone's ever labeled me as having swagger, to be totally clear. Uh, six and a <laughs> half is the line. I think that is intriguing to me and taking the pacers there. It opened at five and a half. But I guess I'm copping out a little bit to what you're saying. I am just very interested into this is another like new pacers feeling. Agreed. For you're right. me, for the Rick Carlisle coach teams of the last couple of years of you have beaten the upper echelon team in your division. The the team that used to run you off the floor, you've beaten them now the last two times. And again, Milwaukee, there's been a lot of internal chatter with them, especially after that loss last um last Wednesday. My cousin feels like Draymond Green. Show this to me. Draymond Green is worse than Rodman. <laughs> Are we there?
1: I think they're different. I think Rodman had lovable qualities. He was a pesk, and he was entertaining. Yeah, he was entertaining, but he was a pesk. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't doing what Draymond's doing. Draymond's the guy that punches you and then backs up. Remember Carmelo did that like a decade ago. That's the kind of guy he is. Like, if Draymond wants to square up on someone, square up on someone. But he always wants to act like he's doing a basketball play when he kicks his foot up and hits you in the
2: groin. That was a street fighter move by Draymond last night, if you want to give him a little (laughs) credit there, on Mr. Nurkic. Were you a street fighter guy, or were you a Tekken guy? Remember Uh, Tekkens
1: back in the day, or am I too old?
2: Draymond's got a lot of gray in the beard. He's been in the NBA
1: for, like, what, nine years? Eight years? Ten years? Something like that? By the way, Damian Lillard, twenty four points last time, just seven of twenty from the field against the Pacers. And
2: he really struggled
1: in the first uh, or, uh in the game on Monday night. Yeah as well. So yeah, just 14 points in that game. He is 10 of his last 37 from the field. I'm trying to do what's 35 and 17% of meat in the middle. That's going to be somewhere in the twenties. That's what he's shooting
2: in the last two games. And we've talked about this before with Bruce Brown. You know, this is the matchup that falls a little bit more into kind of, I guess his height range for lack of a better phrase, you know, when it's Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, uh, or certainly Giannis, um, you know this uh, you know, Damian Little to what 63 something like that you know, yeah this is a little like bit more yeah. and i thought Bruce Brown challenged him very well in the first half uh, out in vegas and that was a crazy game when you think back to it andy of you know it was a great game Pacers played great in the first half the bench was huge. I mean, T.J. McConnell, again, really sparking uh, that, that second quarter run there. And then you get in the third quarter, and all of a sudden the Bucks show up. And Carlisle's taking a timeout. What I think Lillard hit the first three, and Carlisle took a timeout. And they're right in threes. They score over 40 in that quarter. And then what you did there in the fourth. I mean, that to me is probably, if you just want to get down to kind of a singular moment of the in-season tournament, a lot of people, rightfully so, will point to Halliburton's four-point play inside of Gainbridge Fieldhouse against the Celtics. That was the iconic moment, but I thought, Andy, for Indiana to back up what they did with to Boston against Milwaukee after taking the big third-quarter punch, that, again, is something that, if you can bottle it up for a few months from now, it would be absolutely huge to the Pacers here in this season. All right, uh, Matt Painter coming up in about 90 minutes. Steven Holder chatting Colts on the other side. It's a wake-up.
1: Let's get him going. Matt Painter joins us Purdue basketball coach. Uh, great start to the season obviously for them 9 and 1 and the number 1 team in the country coming into Indianapolis. Purdue and in Arizona game bridge on Saturday and coach Painter joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, good morning. How are you today, sir?
0: Good morning. Doing great. Doing great. Thanks Uh, for having me on. Well,
1: thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We do appreciate it. Like I said, uh, 9-1 in the season. And and I'll commend you for the schedule you play in the non-con. And obviously, Arizona on Saturday is a piece of that just brutal uh, and challenging non-conference schedule. Uh, Let's start, I guess let's start there. What is your thought when you're putting together a non-conference schedule like this? And what do you like about your team through 10 games? thus far
0: yeah you you know you try to handicap it as best as possible um it's a little different i think it's easier for us than it is for a lot of other people that are signing you know four to seven guys in the spring through the portal um we've taken two guys out of the portal in three years which is the fewest amount of people um for a high major program in the country so for us it just stays consistent if you think you're going to have a really good team have a really good schedule you know, if you think you're going to, you know, have some guys where you like your players, but you don't like your experience and maybe you don't have, you know, quite like the Maui field, like you you'll want to just be consistent with where you think you are. Now, sometimes you get surprised, you, you know, you want a positive surprise, not a negative surprise, but that it was much easier to do 10 years ago than it is today. But we just felt with the team that we had um it might you know with Zach coming back it just made a whole lot of sense to do that but you really got it in place before that so we've tried to build our schedule up and uh just put ourselves in those positions obviously we've had a lot of success you know, in some MTEs and some non-conference stuff um, in the past three years so just trying to be consistent trying to get better um as far as where we are with our team, you know, just trying to improve. Um, other night we we had some – we played good defense and they made shots. Uh, we, we didn't play good defense and they made shots. So a little bit of both. I thought there was when I went and watched that we did some pretty good things and they made some tough ones. And then at other times we just had simple breakdowns, especially handling some screens. And we got to do a better job on the defensive end. Um, but I really liked our fight. I liked how we stayed with it. Um, We just kept coming. I I like how Braden Smith's evolving into someone who can score the basketball. And and that is what we need. Um, But we have a lot of guys. We we have um, some guys that are starters that come off the bench for us. And uh, we can go a couple different directions with our front line. We can go a couple different directions with our backcourt. And I, I just really like our pieces and I like our makeup.
2: He's Matt Painter. He's with us here on the Payless Slicker Hotline. We thank him for his time here on this Wednesday morning. Coach, specifically to Saturday, how did this game come about? Last year, you know, it was Davidson in this, you know, post kind of crossroads classic era. Specifically, how did Arizona become the opponent?
0: Yeah, well, we're going to return this one. Um, we'll, you know, we'll play them. I think in Vegas next year. It's kind of we're trying to evolve a tournament where you go to three different cities and play. Then obviously going back to the the West Coast for them. If you look at Arizona's, you know, schedule and you look at what they have, you know, they turn around after our game and play Alabama and Florida Atlantic after already playing some really really good teams too. So, you know, I think everybody is really trying to load up their schedule and, and do some different things. So. Yeah, we, we we discussed it and, and talked about it and went back and forth. But I think you, you're seeing a lot of programs doing what Arizona is doing right now in, in terms of their schedule and trying to figure things out. Like, how can we do things? Sometimes people don't realize, like, you get into an MTE and you get into it, like, four or five, six years down the road. But you don't always know, like, who's actually in the tournament. Like, you'll want to know. Um, if you can get in those MTEs and you can win your first game, a lot of people don't talk about this, but it really helps your net because once you win that first game in something like Maui, you're guaranteed to play, you know, Tennessee. You know, right. you're guaranteed to play Kansas or Marquette. Like, you know, that's – and even if you get cracked by a couple of those teams, one or two of those teams, you're still not going to get beat up on Selection Sunday because you lost to Kansas on a neutral court or you lost to Marquette on a neutral court. That's just not the way it works. And I think once people start to see that – now, you got to win some of those too – Like, you got to be able to win some of those. You just can't, you know, sign up for it, get your brains blown out, and then expect (laughs) you to be on Selection Sunday and feel good about it. You got to win them. Like, you know, so when you schedule up, you know, now, like, if you can get to where you can split some of those and then win your other games, you know, which sometimes becomes difficult, right? And, like, that's really when you can set your seat. I think we've been six or seven years in a row now. I don't know the years where we have a five seat or a better. There's only. You know, only Kansas has done that in the country. So Elliot Bloom handles our schedule and we, we really kind of sit down and kind of figure some things out. But we want to make sure that we're not on that negative side on Selection Sunday where they look at us and they say, hey, they got a good team, they got a lot of wins, but who the hell do they play? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want that said about us. We want to be able to do that. And if you see with our seed line, in the last five six years, whenever it is, um, we you know we've done a pretty, he's done a pretty good job with that. Obviously, our players have done a great job because they're the ones that have to win the game.
2: You brought up Braden Smith earlier. I thought Saturday was I thought that was sectional eight. Braden Smith yeah. and and his score no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> yeah his scoring going to another level. What do you recall about your first impressions and watching Braden?
0: Well, he people called about him and it was in COVID. So it wasn't like really fair because we had a commitment from somebody. But I had multiple people calling me saying, you know, hey, he's a really good player. Like, you know, hey, we can't take him. And then we had a kid decommit from us and we jumped on him and watched him. And in the same time, like when something like that happens, we've had some real good success with that. We had a kid from the NBA decommit from us. And we got Carson Edwards. Now this kid from the Philadelphia area decommits from us, and we get Braden Smith. So uh, people that decommit from us is a, like a, might be a silver lining. It might be a, we get no
1: kidding, get, goodness.
0: Get, yeah, they, they need some votes to get in the Purdue Hall of Fame. And, um, and and just I watched four guys that were nationally ranked anywhere from about sixty to one hundred and fifty. You know, people that we felt like maybe we could jump in on a little bit late after this decommitment. And I watched him. I just sat there one afternoon that I started saying, Hey man, like the guy that's not ranked is better than all those guys that are ranked. I go, but it's film, right? Which, you know, you're watching it, it happened, it's whatever, but you like to see people versus competition, you like to see people in person, and in COVID you just weren't gonna see that. So I just started to do my homework. See, sometimes when you do your homework in recruiting, especially if you got a lot of other people that talk to a lot of different coaches i don't want people out there talking about what we're discussing because i don't i said hey man this looks like this is the guy this looks like a like a real player like a guy that could step in right away and obviously he broke his foot twice his senior year so i just started calling a lot of different people hopefully in confidence trying to figure out just kind of his makeup and everything just checked off in terms of a competitor a winner tough you know his instincts Are so good. You know, one, one guy a college coach actually called him a basketball savant. And I was like, well, I I know what that means. Like, you know, you're, you're more or less, you know, saying he's like a little baby genius out there running around, (laughs) you know, the, the way he thinks and the way he sees things. And he does, he has a really good feel. Now, sometimes guys like that, that see everything. Sometimes they see things that don't exist. So you got to make sure that they understand that it's to read, like don't go in with determined thoughts. And he's just evolved that way. He's probably the only recruit where in the spring I picked up and, you know, his dad's obviously in the, in the basketball world. So pick up the phone and called his dad and just said, Hey man, we really got to work on him shooting the basketball. Like how many, how many times do you call parents and say, Hey, like, you know, if you're working him out, let's, Let's try to build up his confidence. let's try to get him going to where he's got to shoot the basketball. Normally, you get guys that take bad shots, you got to curtail it, you got to tell him this isn't what's best for Purdue and you know and you get into the backfield where this was the opposite. you know he just wanted to set everybody up. He just wanted to be a you know just a total distributor, and we can't have that when people are playing all those drop coverages complaints and ball screens, switching things. you got to have a maestro out there that can manipulate all that. But if you're always looking to pass, they're just going to play you to pass. And he's really evolved in that area. But he's always been able to score. So it's always been there. If you watched him in high school, he'd take over the game. You know, If Hafner was making shots, he might not shoot as much. If, If he wasn't or somebody else wasn't going and then it was there for him, he'd take over and score. It was just kind of whatever his team needed. Well, our team needs for him to score. And so we really tried in the spring, like, you know hey like he had a tough tournament you know he had some, some tough games but he's our guy and, and, and you're going to have some growing pains with somebody that you know has the ability to be an all conference level player and, and we've had those but you kind of see the benefits here because he's really taken off
1: yeah he has Braden Smith up in points assists, field goal percentage three point percentage uh, in about the same minutes Matt Painter with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline uh, I'm just, I was just smiling you mentioned Maui a couple times did you ever Ever look in the crowd and see some of the outfits that the Purdue fans had? You had a Darth Vader mask and everything else in attendance in Maui. is quite impressive.
0: I, I, I do not. <laughs> That's all if we I talked about. Court and I, <laughs> yeah, if, I, if I walk on the court and I see, I always see those guys when I walk on the court oh, yeah. with, those, with those crazy yeah. suits. I see them, Yeah, Purdue- but I don't. Yeah, uh, there's stuff going on around me. That I don't think I'm kind of worried about the next play. I would
1: say Purdue had the craziest uh, fans there, no doubt. Uh, you mentioned getting two transfers in just three years, which, by the way, Coach, is a crazy number. Lance Jones comes in averaging about 11 points per game for you. What has he brought to your team this season
0: so far? You know, just giving us some quickness, really kind of offsetting some things for Braden. That, that helps Braden. In his load, in terms of having another guy that can guard the basketball, having another guy that can push the basketball and use his quickness. Um, But a good guy, just a guy that's no different than David Jenkins. They really fit into our program, got a good way about being competitive, Um, just kind of learning. You know how we do things and the the details of things. I think that's an important piece because the details are important. You got to compete within the rules that you have. And he's a competitor and got to get him kind of up to speed there. And and he's growing in that area. But um, he's been great. He's really given us what we needed.
2: Uh, Matt Painter is with us here. Obviously, Arizona and Purdue. It is sold out coming up 4.30 mm. on Saturday inside of GameBridge Fieldhouse. Coach, I know uh, Nate Oates had some comments, uh, I think, earlier this week on Zach Eadie how he's officiated uh, in that game on Saturday. Obviously, that's been a hot-button topic, I think, for you as well over the past couple of years. How have mm-hmm. you seen Zach being officiated this year on both ends of the floor?
0: Yeah, well, you know, last year we had, you know, we had a stretch where it was really bad and it was high level officials reffing our game, kind of like they were refing like the rules were different. And that's the only thing that I've been able to say um, is just make it consistent. Like you, you can't get a coordinator of officials or the head of officials on the national level to say we have two separate rules, but yet we had two separate rules last year for a while. And how he got officiated was different than how everybody else got officiated. And they're acting like he's getting the benefit of the doubt, and it's the flip of it. So it really shows their lack of intellect when it comes to basketball. If you actually, you can't sit there and look at a box score, or you can't sit there and not watch every play and then go back. Um, the start of the Alabama game, like twice he gets wrapped up, he gets wedged. No call, no call. And I'm like, man, here we go. And then all of a sudden they picked up on it. So when you go back, you got to be able to go back and say, okay, 1742 right there, first half, go back and look at this. All right, 1555 in this, go back and look at this. You can't sit there in theory and speak on something without giving support. It's like going into court and saying, hey, here's my theory, but then you don't back up your theory. And the jury and the judge are looking at you like, hey, hey, man, like, You got to convince us here. You just can't go out and say something. How we've gotten to where people that don't understand something speak on something publicly is crazy to me. That's crazy to be like me popping up and say, okay, here's what we're going to do in this chemistry lab. All right, guys? And then people that are chemists would sit out there and go, no, no, that's that's not it. Like, that's just not. So, like, now, like, this allows it you know, people to talk, it's what talk radio is, you know, and now it's just gotten to a new level, but with him, you can't wrap your hands around him. You got to play legal defense. You can't stick your knee up right there. You can't put two hands in his back. You can't like any good official will tell you, you can't mess with the shooter. Any official will say that you'd like, man, he barely hit him on the elbow. Yeah. Well, if you're shooting a 20 footer and you barely hit someone on the elbow, it affects the outcome. You can't mess with the shooters. So a lot of what they've done, so we go into the Northwestern game this year, and the year before it was just a joke. I mean, one of the worst officiated games I've ever been a part of. And they go into it, and we go back, and they miss three really crucial things at the end of the game. But I'm so excited that they actually ref pretty well for 38 minutes. Like, I'm just like, afterwards we got beat, and I'm like, hey, man, These guys did a great job. I go back and watch the film. They had three major misses at the end of the game. But I could care less. I I was like, hey, man, you you guys were fair. You were consistent. You missed some at the end. But at the end of the day, like compared to last year, you know, you guys are great. You need a raise. And so I was like... Like, this is fabulous, like whatever. So that's what we need. We need consistency. The guys that go out, like we play Marquette, okay? This is a great example. We've, they foul 18 times. We foul 11. We had the fewest amount of fouls in the country last year, okay? So just take that for, you know, 362 teams. We had the fewest amount of fouls because we work on not fouling. And Marquette fouls is twice at the end of the game on purpose because they're behind and they have to. So it's really 16 to 11. When you start that game and you watch how they officiate, they get it right away. Bang. He held him. Bang. They get this. They get this. They get this. Now, for 34 minutes, we have a really good game with not a lot of fouls called. All because they started the game. They wrapped him up. Foul. They hook him foul they just get it right away and now they don't have to mess with this stuff for 40 minutes because now that team adjusted marquette adjusted they were trying to switch ball screens they had mismatches you know and then the rest of the game is just easy and so that's all they have to do but when they sit there and they don't see it the thing that they miss officiating that's different than most is he will swallow you up on the baseline what i mean by that if you're the baseline official And you're sitting there, and you got to look through that defense sometimes, how they foul him and what they do, whether they're holding him, whether they're locking him, whether they're pushing him. All right. Sometimes it's subtle, but subtle things don't move him very much. What happens is that outside official, my terminology is not going to be great because I'm not an official. That outside official that's at the angle, he's got to be able to look through and see all that. and and really come in and help that baseline guy. Because Zachary's so big, he takes all that stuff up there. So when I see all that stuff, because obviously I go through things for, you know, looking for Arizona stuff, looking for recruiting stuff – And I see this stuff, and then, like, I didn't listen to that guy who spoke on another day, but I see, like, just whatever the headlines are because I'm not reading it. Um, Every now and then I'll jump into it and read it. It's crazy to me because you got to be able, the good ones that go out that that follow basketball, they always just, you know, they always will show the clips to support what they're saying. But it's just the consistency of refing and understand that you can't go in as a ref, as a theory, and say, here, we're going to let you play today, guys, or we're going to call it close today, guys. You got to call the fouls that are in front of you, you got to, you know, you got to understand advantage, disadvantage, but you also got to be together as a crew. So if you got a new crew and they come into the game and they've never watched clips on Zach Eadie, or they've never watched Purdue play, you got to do your homework. Like I'm watching Arizona, Tommy Lloyd's watching Purdue. If we got three officials on our game on Saturday and they've never went through and watched Arizona play or watched Purdue play, and they don't have a feel for those things, then they're not doing their homework. But on a guy like this that's different like that, you just got to know. You got to know what's real. You got to know what's fake. You got to know what affects things. And then you got to be consistent. To be able to go at the end and say, hey, he gets fouled, you know, the most and he gets called the most, you know, and then not look at the real game and say, hey, man, you know, he gets the, – the reason he gets away with stuff, like sometimes he fouls and doesn't get it called and coaches lose their mind is because those officials, as human beings, they know that they're passing on stuff at the other end. And even though he's getting the most calls, he still gets passed on those calls the most. So now they're sitting there going, dang, that could have been a foul. That could have been a foul. I didn't call that. So then Zachary fouls at the other end, and then they're like, well, <laughs> I'm letting him get fouled. So you, you get into that whole mind game of things, and you don't have to get there. Just call them. And then when, the, when they do call the easy and the obvious ones, he's, he's running through lineups. You know, he's, he's fouled out the starter. He's fouled out the power forward. He's fouled out the backup center. And now it just accumulates, and now we're living at the free throw line, which we want to do. So that's all we want. You know, we want the same rules for him as everybody else.
2: He is Matt Painter, and again, Purdue and Arizona coming up 4.30 on Saturday. Coach, thank you so much for the time. Last one I wanted to throw your way. You mentioned earlier about Braden Smith, and you kind of laid out some of the qualities that you liked about him in the recruiting process. I want to flip it the other way. What turns you off from a recruit, whether it's what you're watching on the floor or what you potentially have to deal with off the floor?
0: Yeah, you know, it's more or, more or less like when you you get everybody. You have to understand that. So if I sign a player, you you get them all. You get Uncle Billy, you get their parents, you get their coaches. I mean, just be consistent, you know, as a coach of knowing, hey, this has worked for me and this hasn't worked for me. And and, and don't put any personal strikes on it. It's just sometimes things work for you at a certain school or a certain conference or a certain personality or whatever it might be. So just try to understand what's worked and what hasn't worked and, and stay with that and understand how they fit in and how they're going to come in because you can get some guys that are really hard workers, but is their passion basketball? Their passion has to be basketball because it's going to get hard and it's going to get tough and you got to be able to fight through adversity. So our staff has done a really good job. Um, People put a big emphasis on recruiting. I put a big emphasis on evaluation, knowing who you're getting, knowing who you're signing can they come in and be able to play right away? If they don't, can you still grow them to where now they have a chance to develop and and, and help your team down the road and kind of live and understand what's worked. So, um, you know, for us, you got to get out there and watch too, and don't let other people do your work. Like I really like certain guys and like other people don't. And then like they come back and say, well, how'd you see that? Well, Shot 48% from three. He had a three-to-one assist turnover ratio. He makes 84% of his free throws. He lives in the gym. He's a simple person. He has no baggage. His parents are cool. Um, like, you know what I mean? I don't want to deal with crap. I just don't want to deal with it. And so, like, if somebody, like, is a really good player and all this, but then the, the person that's handling them, you know, is, you know, is a pain in the ass, like, I don't want to deal with it. So I just go another direction. Before you take, then you get mad and you're like, what do you mean? The the guy that's next to him was a pain in the ass of the AAU coach. And when they start complaining on the phone to me about the AAU coach and the high school coach, <laughs> oh hey guys, get guess who's next? <laughs> yeah. The old college coach. He's next. And so it's like, like, they'll be like, whenever they ask me stuff, I always say, hey, coach, what do you think? I said, I think I want to coach him in college. And they go, well, what do you mean? Like, no, no, no. What do you think about like this right here? I go, no, I'm, I'm not doing that to somebody that people do that to me. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to say, like, hey, man, why would you do that and say that about me when you've never been in our practices? You've never even met me. You don't even know how I treat people. Like, like why would you do that? So I'm not going to flip around and now do that to a high school coach, whether right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm going to support him and say, like, hey, man, he's the high school coach. He's in charge. Like, that's, that's just that. I'm, I'm, I just want to coach him in college. Yeah, but, you know, what do you think here? So they get into all that and they make it worse. And it's just like back up. That's what I always say, like, you know, hey, with my kids, I just, just be their dad. Period. Don't be their coach. Like, be their dad. Like, I'm the coach of the players I'm producing. I'm not somebody else's coach. If you want to come and join our team, now I'm your coach. But, like, just keep things in checks and balances. And I think it really helps the kid because they get a lot of pressure on them. They get a lot of things coming their way. And they read everything. So, like, they get on a high level when they do well because so many nice things get said. And all of a sudden, like, hey, you're 9-1 and one and you lose one game, and now you're the worst player in the world. No, you're not the worst player in the world. You had a tough game. We got outplayed. Let's try to fix it. Let's work on it. But at the end of the day, it's it's basketball. Like, it, it's not who you are. And sometimes when you're younger, you, you kind of look at that and get that twisted. It's our job to make sure we keep things in perspective for our players.
2: Should be a lot of black and gold in the building Saturday afternoon and hopefully again in March for a couple games for Matt Painter's Boilers. Coach, can't thank you enough for the time on this Wednesday morning. Safe travels down here, and uh, good luck the rest of the year.
0: Cool. Thanks, guys.